0: This episode of the Palace of Glittering Delights is respectfully dedicated to the memory of no Leonard Nimoy. Is anybody out there? Roll up! Roll up! Ladies and gentlemen children of all ages! Books, comics, sci fi, TV and film, live from the Palace of Glittering
1: Delights! And here, host, Dandrea Leyland.
0: Internet fan think would have you believe many things that marvel make good movies but bad tv shows that you can't like star wars and star trek and my personal worldview is infinitely better than yours and i have a meme to prove it But one of the most contentious of fan statements is that all the odd-numbered Star Trek movies are cack, a statement repeated on the TV show Spaced starring Simon Pegg. Now that he's starred in both an odd and even Star Trek film, and the odd one was better than the even one, I wonder how he feels about that statement now. Which brings us to the topic of tonight's show, an episode I like to call Suck It, Haters. Special thanks to Dave Atterbury for the title. Yes, tonight we swing the palace doors open to welcome some very special guests to join me and discuss why we think that statement is erroneous, mostly. Joining me in a piece of internet radio synergy are my Listen to the Prophets, a Deep Space Nine podcast co-host, Paul, the Search for Spetaro and Sean, Enterprise E. Engel. Welcome, gentlemen.
2: Hey, thanks for having us.
1: Yeah, thanks for having us over at the Palace, Andy. It's, it's all right, Paul. sounded <laughs> <pretty laughs> <nice> incredibly <laughs>
0: enthusiastic.
1: <laughs> you know, despite the fact that we're recording a Palace episode, we're still recording at the same time. We usually do profits episodes, so it's early in the morning for both uh, Paul and I. So if we're less than, uh, you know, totally energetic, you will know why.
2: You know, I woke up yeah. an hour ago. And I thought, oh, if I come downstairs now, Sean is just getting it.
1: <laughs> this
2: time yeah. difference thing has me totally thrown off.
1: <laughs> it's crazy, isn't it? Yes, it's very,
0: very odd. Anyway, tonight we are going to look at only the odd-numbered Star Trek films. We are not going to look at Star Trek from 2009, unless you two watched it again,
1: because I know I didn't. No. Uh, you know, I figured we would just cover the the classic films although it would be interesting to you know raise a defense of that one because it is pretty maligned but i, I do have to agree with you i do think that odd number film was significantly better than the film that followed it so mm, that'll so, be all we need to say about it i do we're, wonder we're, if Simon raising into defenses? The i totally wish
2: we were here to, to blast them and act internet-y <laughs> no
1: no we don't
0: do any of that filth we're here to to defend not to bury All right. Okay. First off then, Star Trek The Motion Picture came out in 1979. Its budget was $35 million. It grossed $139 million worldwide. Uh, I don't think these figures are adjusted for inflation, because I think Star Trek The Motion Picture is one of the highest grossing of the films, if you adjust for inflation. Uh, The director was Robert Wise. I think Star Trek The Motion Picture is fantastic. I love Star Trek The Motion Picture. I think it's the only one that is a film, In its own right, I think it was the last of that kind of late 60s, 70s, big sweeping, idea-driven science fiction movies like Westworld and 2001 A Space Odyssey and and all of that stuff. Planet of the Apes comes in there as well. I think Star Trek The Motion Picture is brilliant. But we've discussed Star Trek The Motion Picture quite a lot before. So I'll just let you two mount your defence, if you have one, of Star Trek The Motion Picture.
2: Why don't you go ahead, Paul? Uh, well, I didn't realize I was I was going to do an opening argument. Uh, <laughs> when, when well, you do
0: it for a job, so I figured you'd be good at it.
2: <laughs> and it's your first mistake. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, I remember when, when, I remember actually my first exposure to Star Trek The Motion Picture was on the back of a comic. They had the ads for the movie uh, probably about a year, a year and a half before it even came out. And mm. I started getting excited for it then. And I think that may be one of the problems with this movie. And there's two problems. I talked about it once before. I don't know if it ever made it onto a show. But that would be my second part. The first part is I think anticipation got that this was going to be Star Wars. And I think that's one of the problems with this movie is people expected Star Wars and they didn't get Star Wars. They got the earlier, as you said, the earlier scientific incarnation, which is actually a more thoughtful, uh, more slow-moving, slow-burn type movie than what they got. They expected the action-y Star Wars and didn't get that. The second problem I have, uh, as far as perception goes, is, and this is the one that I discussed in the past, I think Star Trek The Motion Picture, by definition, is a big-screen movie. And I think in the early 1980s, following the disappointment that it was in Star Wars... Uh, People got it on videotape, and they were watching it on what the average, how home probably had a 19-inch TV set in it, and they were watching the movie on that television uh, with a pan-and-scan copy and didn't get the true grandeur of the movie. Nowadays, my suggestion is people sit down and watch it again on their 50- to 60-inch TV set uh, in high definition, letterboxed, and I think they'll have a different experience if they're willing to give it a shot. Yes, it is a slow-moving movie, and yes, it does have some loving shots of the Enterprise or various different things. And by today's standards, maybe some of the special effects have gotten very outdated. But the story is solid, and it moves along, and it does build up to a slow burn, and it's got a science fiction concept that's pretty cool when you think about it, that Gene Roddenberry was chomping at the bit to record for years and years and years and finally was able to uh on on a negative end i do think some of the character characterization is lacking i don't think that robert wise was out there trying to make a movie about the uh kirk spark mccoy relationship which is what has become the hallmark of this trek movies after that so i think when people look at it, they say, hey, where's that, that interaction, that byplay between the characters? But there's some fascinating sequences. I tell you, I, every time I watch this movie, I have to stop whatever I'm doing and stare at the scene on Vulcan where that starts off the movie. And there's no action there, but it just pulls me in. And then from that point on, I'm riveted. I, I, I think this is a fine movie. I don't really understand the criticism other than it isn't what... People expect from their scientific their science fiction blockbusters nowadays, but if you can adjust your expectations, I don't see how any of the criticism in this movie really holds up.
0: No, well, before we go over to Sean, just a couple of, of things, though. One, w- was the advert, the one, because there was two that I remember in the comic books. There's the one that's the actual movie poster with Kirk and Spock and Ilya's face in multi But the early one was just a shot of the Enterprise.
2: That's the one, with, and, it, and down at the, the bottom it had, like, you know, whatever, ten boxes with little little faces.
0: Yeah, that that little 1970s thing of having the pictures of the actors on the poster.
2: Yeah, that's the one I remember seeing, and I remember, I remember like, I remember showing that to people who weren't comic book fans but were Star Trek fans and saying, "Hey, look what's coming because we didn't have the internet back then, and you know that was the only the only information I had that this movie was coming out
0: yeah, and that is a brilliant poster The enterprise in that advert is kind of like a cross between the t v show one and the one you we would get in the motion picture it is It is a fantastic advert. The other thing I want to pick up though that is an excellent point that throughout the 80s, people will have been watching this on 19-inch televisions in pan and scan. And I think some of that is why this has been slightly reappraised. You know, when you read reviews and stuff, this is largely dismissed, which I think is unfair. I think this is a brilliant film. I think it's a really good science fiction movie. But yeah, the fact that we can now watch it again on big HD TVs, I think has, has improved its standing. In, uh, in the general thinking of Star Trek movies, because you're right, this is a film. It was directed by a proper film director, something which you can't really say about any of the others, with the possible exception of Nicholas Mayer. and then he was handcuffed by the budget that he had for Wrath of Khan, which was very, very small. But yeah, yeah that's an Which was about considered. a third of excellent. what
2: they had for the Star Trek The Motion Picture.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's significantly less than they had for this one. Sean?
1: Well, I have to, you know, I can't disagree with anything Paul said. This really is a movie that nowadays should get some reappraisal because I agree watching it originally and with the pacing of it on a on a video, a pan and scan video where you're not getting the grandeur of it, it can seem to be a really boring movie. But if you take in the fact that if you take in the fact it is supposed to be a proper science fiction movie along the lines of 2001 and if you're able to watch it in high definition uh, like i i actually watched mine on i have the blu-ray copy of the first six original movies and that's where i watched all these movies and the imagery is wonderful A, a lot of the effects really hold up more so than effects from this time, uh, it, going back to the original Star Wars, some of the effects in that look kind of blocky, and you can actually see a lot of the matte lines around it. In, on this transfer, it looked really amazing. The actors, they all look fresh, fit, young. Everyone looks good. You know, you, you'll see as they get older, they start to progressively look a little bit less like they should be in a Star Trek role and more like they basically shouldn't. Um, the concept is really interesting for the time. Uh, at the time, there we were interested in the Voyager probes that were leaving the solar system and the idea of a Voyager probe that had encountered this alien robotic planet, let's just say maybe Cybertron, to keep uh, – fanboy miss prime happy uh you know and and had come back searching for his creator is is a very interesting idea it does sort of play into the changeling idea that was in the original track and that could be a criticism that it's kind of taking from that but it's original enough story to to really engage the the viewers um i can't i can't really find any fault with this other than just it having a, a slower pace and I think, I think Paul also got it right that because this came out after Star Wars, everyone figured this movie was going to be an action movie like Star Wars, and it wasn't. It was an intelligent, thought-provoking science fiction movie, so maybe that's why it wasn't viewed at the time as a quality science fiction or a quality Star Trek movie.
2: I'm sorry. I just wanted to add into that. It's it's clearly not a movie that's made for the uh, MTD, MTV de- generation, and that's the only thing that that seems to possibly have a uh, a negative effect on it to me.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the only special effects sequence that doesn't really hold up is the wormhole bit. I think the Enterprise looks a little bit like a cardboard cutout in that scene. But I I watched the DVD director's edition, which is my preferred version. Of the uh, film, I, uh, I do I haven't bought the Blu-rays because that hasn't been transferred to the Blu-ray. But there's that many different versions of this film. It's like Superman: The Movie, isn't the three completely different versions of this? There's the TV edit, which had loads of stuff put back in, the original theatrical release, and then Robert Wise's director's edition.
2: Right. Mm-hmm. I, I would say the sequence at the beginning, when the Klingon ship actually gets blasted by v is also one that doesn't really hold up special effect I love device. the
0: direction in that, though, that you, you start on the Klingon ships coming towards you, and then the camera goes above and twizzles round, mm-hmm, and it's... then comes under. I love that bit. I think that's a brilliant opening to the film. To me, that's every bit as effective as the, the Star Destroyer coming over your head. At the beginning mm, of Star Wars.
1: I think the the music in that sequence probably adds to a lot to that. Oh yes, we can't talk about this movie and not talk about the music. The Klingon battle theme is perhaps one of the greatest evil march themes since the Imperial March for that would come up later for uh, return or not return but uh, Empire Strikes Back. The Imperial March theme is only. Is it, 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 the Klingon theme surpasses that one, and just its grandeur and its effect on you? It's it's a great science fiction theme, and Jerry Goldsmith does a grit to to its credit. The theme from Star Trek: The Motion Picture would be repurposed to be the theme for Star Trek: The Next Generation. So there you go. the 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 music for this movie is iconic,
2: and I would have to listen to it again. But I think that Klingon, I would say, I would call it like a Klingon march. Uh, I think that was repurposed to basically become Worf's theme. When he'd come on the camera, You, uh, in the movies, you'd actually hear that in the background. Yeah,
1: yep. yeah they, you're it, absolutely right. They, they'd they kind of use that as a, uh, oh, what do they call it, uh, John Williams?
0: Yeah. That bit. Yes, exactly. Yeah, the, the the score is absolutely magnificent. Jerry Goldsmith's score for this film is brilliant. And I love that not only does he do that, he gives it a brand new spanking theme which sounds much better in this film than it did on Seven Years of the Next Generation. The the Dennis McCarthy rearrangement, probably because of TV budgetary restrictions, just sounds a little bit tinny mm-hmm. and not as sweeping or epic as the the opening to the motion picture.
1: Well, I'm I'm and, certain he did get the full orchestra to
0: to back it no, up to do that he, he probably didn't have that so the motion picture is still the preferred version but all the way through the film he weaves his themes with his kind of like Planet of the Apes more esoteric soundtrack and he blends both of them together just the <laughs> Pshum! noises whenever you see Vija it's very Planet of the Apes what he would do on that score so go oh, yeah. the, it did no wrong when oh. the the motion picture
2: This this movie came out in an era where you could bunch it with a lot of, you know, the truly in my mind the truly memorable and great scores. A lot of which are John Williams. You know, you had Jaws, you had uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, you had Star Wars, you had Superman. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, this this is all in the same era, and and this this one I can't say this stood out beyond those, but it held up right with them, and that's that's saying a lot.
0: I like Captain Kirk, Admiral Kirk's arc. In the film as well, because he starts off the film as being a bit of an asshole. He's oh, determined absolutely. to get captaincy of the Enterprise back, and he doesn't care who he has to walk over to get it. And McCoy is the. D. Forrest Kelly's brilliant in this film. D. For, I think D. Kelly's uh, the unsung hero of the movie, because every time he's on screen, he lights up the stage, as he always did. But he's the one just poking holes in Kirk's pomposity all the way through the film, until he finally gets Kirk to see that you're being a jerk and that's the i mean a lot of some people have complained about that but i think that's the arc of the movie because this is very much this is more kirk's story than it is anybody else even though spock has an emotional arc that will carry on to the next films as of the end of this movie he's a completely different spock than he was from before this movie and nimoy carries that performance on through the rest of them this is kirk's story even more so, I think, than Decker and Ilea, who really are just guest stars of the week, this is a Captain Kirk story. And I think Shatner is good in it for the most part. There's a couple of line deliveries that are a bit off. But for the most part, he looks good. He's He's got something to do for the first half of the film, rather than just look at the view screen, which is for the second half. And some of the uniforms got a lot of slap, but I like a lot of them. There's only his tennis outfit I'm not really a big fan
1: of. Yeah, the Admiral uniform I thought was really good. Um, the The uniforms that they had at the end with the sort of uh, beige jackets when they went to actually inspect the V'ger, uh probe, uh, I really liked. But that's it's another one of the... Pretty- take the pajamas that takes a hit. Yeah, it's, it's the, <laughs> and, and it's because they are pajamas and they are very form-fitting on the males, which just gets uncomfortable at times. From a
2: negative end... I actually kind of didn't think Stephen Collins' performance was that great in this. He was one of the actors that I thought kind of, I don't know, I don't know if maybe it's a little bit of the editing, but his his lines always seemed to be slightly delayed. It didn't seem, sound natural when he said them. It almost sounded like he had to think of them before he said them.
0: He sounds a bit stilted.
2: Yeah, in and, and, and it, like yeah. I said, that might have been helped a little bit with the editing. That's that's one of the things in this that I. Could have, I, I think, could have been a little better. Uh, you know, you're bringing in a new character who, you know, in in uh, phase two would have been a major character, would have been the new captain of the Enterprise, effectively, or actually would have been the William Riker role, would he not?
0: Yeah, he would. He was going to be the first officer. Because
2: yeah. because uh, Shatner was coming back for phase two, correct? Wasn't he? Yeah, the
0: only one who wasn't coming back was Leonard Nimoy, because this uh, this was originally the pilot episode for phase two which then didn't happen. I mean, Starlog magazine published... They must have got very far in the development of that series because Starlog magazine published an episode guide for what would have been the first season of Phase 2, and they had story synopsis, sometimes very limited <laughs> synopsis, sometimes only one line, but they had a story synopsis for all
2: 22 episodes. Well, yeah. they, they, I mean, they, they did repurpose probably close to half a dozen of them for the next generation.
0: Yeah, so, so they, they didn't go completely to waste... But, yeah, I I really like Star Trek The Motion Picture. And I think it's exactly like Paul says. People thought it was going to be Star Wars. It wasn't Star Wars. The same reason Blade Runner flopped initially. People thought it was going to be Raiders of the Lost Ark. And it got reappraised over the years when people realised that it wasn't that... It was something completely different. And I I genuinely think if you have a low opinion of this, but you like your Star Trek, you should go back and give it another go and try and view it with an open mind on a big screen TV. Either the Blu-ray or the the DVD director's cut, whichever. Because I think the director's cut did a good job of blending new effects in with Mm. old effects without it calling attention to it. I mean, there are certain points where they've tinkled with the effects there that I didn't notice. And I watched the TV version of this quite a lot when I had it on videotape. So it's well worth going back and, and checking out. Well, I, I suspect think. that there's
2: a, there's, there's a large portion of audience that's younger than we uh, that may never have actually seen this from beginning to end. That may have no. just put clips of it on TV and, and, you know, thought, yeah, oh, look, see, it is slow-moving. I'm not going to watch this. And, and I think that's that's not really giving it a fair shake.
1: But well, I, I think the slow-moving aspect of it, and I think uh, when... Chris and Gene Hendrix covered this on uh, one of Gene's shows. The slow-moving aspect really helps sell the immensity of this thing that's approaching Earth. This, you know, uh, they, they said that it's a uh, 82 AU's across and di- or 82 AU's in diameter, An AU is a distance from the Earth to the Sun. So this thing is as big as 82 times the distance of the Earth to the Sun. That's huge. Try wrapping your head around how big this is, hmm. and the slow moving help sell the impending or, or, or the immensity of this and the enormity of this and what the uh, how how diminutive the enterprise, which we always thought was a rather big ship, is compared to this thing. I think it was Scott and Chris. The no, Scott and Gene. See, I got oh, it wrong. Oh, my bad.
0: Are we going to rank these? Are we going to give them gold press Latinums? Um.
1: Do we want to? Is that
0: crossing the streams? We can nah, ask. we can do that. We can do whatever we want. Um, this is a promo for "Listen to the Prophets," which is a Deep Space Nine podcast that you should listen to.
2: <laughs> also, for, of, of another much maligned Trek property.
0: Yes, that we are
2: unfairly so
1: maligned. Mm-hmm.
0: That's what we think. Yeah, I think we should go on rank em. Why not?
1: Okay, I'd give this one. You know, it's. Uh, I'm going to say the pinnacle of the movie still for me has to be two, but I'm going to give this a 4.5. If if two, if... Well, I take that back. I'm going to give it a four. I've got a I've got a higher ranking one coming up, but I'm going to give this a four. This is a really good movie. It does have some slow parts. Some of the acting, I agree with Stephen Collins. Not the greatest. Uh, we never really mentioned Ilea, but I think because most of her role is her supposed to be uh, as this alien probe, her stilted acting is okay for that. But I'm going to go ahead and give it a four bars. Why not? Paul. Yeah, I'm. I'm gonna
2: fall right in line with you and say for for uh, bars of latinum. And I think again, I watch it. I've become riveted to my TV set. I think the slowness is a slow burn that, if you allow yourself to get pulled into it, increases tension as the movie goes along, which is not typical for your Star Trek movies. The you know that that's this is the only one that really does that. Um, I do have some acting questions about it i do have some editing questions that's the only reason it's not five Uh, but i do think this is an excellent movie and i think it's unfairly maligned and it's one of those movies that if i'm on the rare occasions where i'm flipping through the channels and it's on i stop and i watch it
0: yeah i'm gonna fall right in line with you like i think this is four as well I think it's, it's exactly the same as what Paul said. This, for me, is up there with a handful of movies. Dirty Harry, Outlaw Josie Wales, Empire Strikes Back, Jaws, Planet of the Apes, Superman, this. If any of those are on, if I'm channel surfing, I leave them on. And I do the same with this one every single time. I think perhaps it is slightly better as a science fiction movie than it is as a Star Trek movie. I don't think it's perfect. It is a little bit flabby in the midsection, although the director's edition does tidy that up an awful lot. But for the most part, I think this is a very, very good film in and of itself. And the thing with the Star Trek movies is they're always judged on whether they're good Star Trek or whether they're good films. The good ones are both. And I think this is a better film than it is a better Star Trek film, but it's still four. It is the last one, like I said, of those big, sweeping, grand, idea-driven science fiction epics. And we never really got that again in the 1980s with the possible exception of Blade Runner. Maybe The Thing,
1: possibly. I could agree with that. Yeah, I would,
2: I, and and that's that's one. Just I, I hate to just you know keep us uh, lingering on it, but oh. there is the aspect to this movie that if you told Robert Wise make the same movie but do it without the Star Trek characters, he could have easily adapted it, mm. and and made it made it just a movie unto itself. And and when I was younger, I did consider that a little bit of a criticism. Oh, look at this guy; he's not even really making a movie. He doesn't even care about the Star Trek characters. But as I got older, I, I almost to appreciate that aspect of it that he made a true science fiction movie and then he was able to put these characters in and i don't think any of them are really mischaracterized i think they're all played correctly so it's it's putting the science fiction first which again i think this is the only trek movie that does that i see that as a positive at this point whereas like i said at one time i did view it as a little bit of a negative Mm -hmm. well it was it was the motion picture it wasn't a tv show put on on a
0: big screen it was Star Trek, the motion picture. It was everything they couldn't afford, everything they wanted to do, but couldn't on a TV show budget. And I think it's telling that this doesn't end
1: in a fist fight. It's proper Gene Roddenberry Star Trek. Yeah, it's very cerebral. And that's that's what I think Roddenberry wanted out of a Star Trek, rather than, you know, wagon train to the stars. Mm, you had to do that
0: to get it on the air. Yeah. Uh, okay, right, well, the next... Odd-numbered Star Trek film, Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock, came out in 1984. This one had a budget of $17 million, significantly less mm-hmm. than Star Trek The Motion Picture, but made an impressive $87 million. So in terms of profit, it made uh, quite a, a decent return on its investment. The director for this one was Mr. Spock himself, Leonard
1: Nimoy. Who wants to go first? Well, I'll go first, if you don't mind. This is going to be probably my favorite out of the odd number of movies. This one introduced the Klingons back into the Star Trek mythos, and it did it superbly. As much as you... And and I'm certain, Paul, you were probably a fan of Taxi and Reverend Jim. Hearing Christopher Lloyd as the Klingon commander in this does kind of take some getting used to. But he plays it superbly. I think he is perhaps one of the best Klingon villains in Star Trek. I would put him up against any of the original series, against Kang, against Krug, just superlative. And this is also a proper, you know, people always seem to think of Star Trek as an ensemble show. And I think this is a great ensemble piece. Everyone gets their own little pieces. You know, Sulu gets his chance to shine. McCoy does. Uh, Kirk is wonderful. There's a middle part. This kind of has a middle part feeling, uh, much like uh, the Star Wars trilogy. It's a lot darker. You see the loss of the Enterprise. Shatner does some amazing acting. There's action. This probably is less like star trek that uh, roddenberry was envisioning but for me it's a more entertaining movie it's faster paced and it just works for me um a little more than it, it's it's a different animal than uh the motion picture was so i hand it over to paul uh,
2: i wish i had asked to go first
1: you said <laughs> yeah. so many other things
2: i wanted to say I love this movie. <laughs> this is just a tick below Star- uh, the Wrath of Khan. I, I thought this was so great. It, it basically it continued it so well, and I was amazed by what a a deft hand that I thought Leonard Nimoy had directing this movie. Right from the start, the opening sequences where he's basically uh, showing scenes from the fir- from start from the Wrath of Khan. Uh, the way he did it, starting off in in the small box, black and white, or, or the color faded, and slowly coming in and slowly filling up the screen, and, and with the music in the background, it just pulled me right in. The scene when, when Kirk and, and Sarek are, are mind-melding about what went on with Spock, uh, there's an intensity there that... that I think people forget about this movie afterwards because there are fun scenes in it and there's a lot of action scenes in it, but there's an intensity to this movie that, that I think gets put under the carpet a little bit. I think this is just such a, such a, a great companion piece to the Wrath of Khan, uh, and I believe, in, in my opinion, it, it would be the second Star Trek movie, period, not even going for odd numbers. After The Wrath of Khan, this is my favorite Star Trek movie. Christopher Lloyd aspect of it, I don't remember who it was. I think it may have been Dennis Miller in his uh, stand-up bit. Did a whole thing about,
1: yes. you know, about, uh, oh, give me the Genesis weapon. <laughs> no? Okie doke. Yeah, it was Miller. I do remember that.
2: You know, his voice is very recognizable. His face is not. Uh, he is a threatening character, and if you can get by the voice and and don't think of him as Reverend Jim, he he really is a great Klingon villain in this, and and he he has the Klingon attitude when they talk about being outnumbered. We're Klingons, he tells them, you know, we we, we can do this. This uh, this movie just pulls me right in, and it has the scientific aspect with you know the trying to do, do the bonding of the uh, uh, uh of Spock's body and mind. Uh Spock gets to do the nasty with uh Sa- with with Savik, which is nice. Uh while he's going yeah. through his ponfar far on the planet.
1: Yeah, he he gets a handy, basically. I
2: remember thinking at the time, and this was a wrong thought, but I remember thinking at the time that when David got killed it was underplayed. But it wasn't underplayed because it was a, a Vulcan reporting it, and of course she was gonna say it with no emotion. But Shatner when he falls back, and, and this a lot has been made of this in reviews of the movie and discussions of the movie, when he falls back afterwards and, and effectively misses his seat uh, because he's so overwhelmed by what just happened, it's just a great piece of, of emotional acting there uh so so like i said there's the action in there there's much faster pace than what we got in the first movie or the first movie we just talked about but it's just done so beautifully and and i love i just love this movie i i we could talk about this one we could have done this entire episode on this movie i think Mm -hmm. yeah i i don't disagree with anything i think star trek i don't
0: understand why star trek 3 gets lumped in with the odd numbered movies are all crap thing it's not as expansive as Star Trek the motion picture, or even arguably Star Trek 2, it is, for better and worse, the only time the film series captured the tone and feel of an original series episode. And I mean that in the good and the bad. The budget obviously shows at points. The planet sets look like planet sets. Some of the editing is atrocious. But, as with the best episodes of the show, it transcends the budgetary limitations to embrace the character and the story. And it takes it all seriously while still having a little bit of tongue-in-cheek fun in there. You know, that Klingon bastard, it's his revenge for all... The the Vulcan bastard, sorry, it's his revenge for all the arguments he lost. (laughs) That stuff. And Shatner's really good in this film. I mean, if you compare his performance in this to the one we're going to talk about next, it's like two different actors... I don't know whether he's bringing his A game because Leonard's behind the camera, so he feels he has to carry the thing more on his shoulders because he's not got his partner there anymore, or if it's just a case of all right, everyone thinks Leonard Nimoy is the actor in this show. I'll show him because he's very, very rarely over the top at all in this movie. I mean, the only time—and this is stretching it—is the "you, I have had enough of you" bit. I think his delivery there's a little bit i don't know but there's no other way you could really have done it because he's got to fit the line in between kicking him in the face
1: Mm -hmm. so it's that's typical that's typical shatner you know drama that's typical shatner fight scene and then that's that's what we get from the original series that's the original series feel that we're getting there and it's glorious i don't Mm -hmm. i don't have a problem with him doing the staccato i have had enough you i mean it's brilliant yeah oh it works that was the only time though i'm
0: watching it and going oh that's a bit shattery whereas through the rest of the film he's he's totally invested in what he's doing and he delivers a really good performance you have to kind of dial down the ending to wrath of khan to make this work Wrath of Khan ended, everyone was joyous and moderately happy, despite the fact Spock had died, and suddenly they're all miserable again. But you can you can, you can say that's because over the journey back home, they've had to drop everybody off wherever they've dropped them all off, and, you know, McCoy's been going slightly insane, and maybe they've not been able to reach top speed, so they're all going a little bit mad because of the damage. Vonda McIntyre's novel to this has a hundred pages before the film even begins of picking up the threads from the end of, of The Wrath of Khan and Carol Marcus is still on the ship at the beginning of the novel, I think, and he has to drop her off somewhere, and then they take Savick and David and rendezvous with the Grissom, and all of that happens in the novel, and then the the, the film joins the novel, I think it's at chapter four, and Vonda McIntyre's novel of this is, is absolutely brilliant. It's got all the mysticism and, and Vulcan stuff that you expect from a TV show, but it's got the action and adventure that you also expect from the TV show. There's a lovely little cameo in the middle of it, where the limping and wounded Enterprise comes into space dock, and it's Janice Rand watching it come in, and just knowing that it's her, and she completely sells, what have you done to my ship? Because Mm -hmm. everyone has that opinion. If you've served on the Enterprise, it's your ship. And if you consider, she'll have been looking at a blue screen. So that is actually a really good piece of acting on her part. And that's the only bit she's in this film, which is a real shame, because I like Janice Rand. But the story all works really well. It picks up all the loose ends from the other film, despite the fact it was never intended to. And Hal Bennett is on record as saying he wrote this film backwards. He wrote the last scene first and then said, right, how do we get here? And he wrote the next scene. Well, they arrive on Vulcan. Well, how do they arrive on Vulcan? They arrive on a Klingon ship. And he's gone, <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. So how did they get a Klingon ship? And he wrote the film backwards. He's actually, got, he's actually said that in an interview. The final scene was the first scene he wrote. That's genius. Um, it, it is. It's absolutely fantastic. But um, when you think I, about it,
2: it is genius, and, and it's an incredibly hard undertaking. But when you think about it, how else could you go about this movie? Because you know the ultimate end game is that Spark has to be resurrected. So you mm-hmm. have to figure out, how do I get to him being resurrected?
0: Yeah. I mean, it is probably the most predictable film in the history of, of film. You know, the title, of The Search for Spark, they're not not going to find him. But I like how they play with it throughout. William Shatner's credit comes on at the beginning, and then there's a longer than normal gap before DeForest Kelly gets his credit. Like they were playing with the idea that, yeah, we're going to put Leonard Nimoy's name here. Oh, no, we're not.
1: And so and that, Nimoy doesn't come in until the director thing, and then you don't really see any, any other credits for him until the, the end of the movie. Until the, the end of the film. But he dubs over when McCoy starts speaking.
0: And there's just so many lovely little bits in this. Again, D. Kelly is most valuable player by far. His performance in this one is just fantastic. Particularly the scene in the middle where he he goes to do the Vulcan nerve pinch on the (laughs) the guy, and it doesn't work. And his conversation to... Listen to me, you backwards friend. Genesis may well be planet forbidden. That's brilliant. And apparently, again, this is in one of the making of... Novels. I don't even remember which one at this point, but apparently they had to pull Shatner back from wanting to be in those scenes with D. Kelly and half Bennett. Basically, put his foot down and said, "No, these are McCoy scenes. You shouldn't be there." <laughs> and I, I think that Shatner's recognising that there were some pretty damn good scenes.
2: Yeah, and mm-hmm. as a,
0: he wanted in on them, and half Bennett said no.
2: But, but I think he had his, he had his uh, he had his opportunities in this movie with the uh, death of David. Which I again, as I said, he I thought he played masterfully, and when the Enterprise explodes, yes, there's mm-hmm. the scene after that. I think he's great in that because he does underplay it a little bit. You know, oh my God, what have I done? But he doesn't it, like he doesn't
1: overact it at all. I think he did a beautiful job with it. And again, we go back to DeForest Kelly being the one saying, "You do what we all what you always do, give us a fighting chance." I mean, it's. Uh, this is just stellar acting from the main cast. It's it's sad that they the idea of the odd number of Star Treks are bad because this one holds up as one of the greatest Star Trek films.
0: Mm. It is. It, it, that's the key word, though. It's one of the best Star Trek films. It really is fantastic. But Shatner brings subtle comedy to this one. The absolutely brilliant delivery of the line, the word is no. I am therefore going anyway. is funny. The way he delivers that line is funny. It, the bit at the end... You said you would kill me. I'll kill you later. Get out. That brilliant <laughs> stuff. He's, he's underplaying the comedy as well.
2: I need to be replayed by Arnold Schwarzenegger with, uh, you told me you'd kill me first. I lied. He's you had to get a
0: Schwarzenegger in,
1: didn't you? <laughs>
2: <laughs> La Well,
0: he's not here. So we have to squeeze a, a homage to Bill. In. But yeah, he's brilliant in it. D. Kelly's brilliant in it. I, I would argue Chekhov doesn't really get a lot to do, but Chekhov's yeah. quite dull as a character anyway, so don't yeah. no be and, and they gave so,
2: him a lot in The Wrath of Khan in comparison. Yeah, Yeah.
0: yeah. He, he had a lot to do in Khan. I mean, even Uhura, the Mister Adventure scene.
1: Yeah, Sulu. It's Sulu gets to take down the you know the guy who calls him Tiny. It's it's yep. so cool. Wonderful. Tiny.
0: The guy that Kirk speaks to on the bridge, who asks him, "Is there going to be a ceremony?" is Phil Morris, who would not only go on to be in the remake of Mission Impossible, playing his dad's character son because his dad played Barney in Mission Impossible. He is also in Smallville
1: as the Martian Manhunter. Oh yeah, and he's all. I think he's also a. Uh, character voice actor i think he does a lot of uh did didn't he do john stewart i think he may have done john stewart on the uh, justice league and just yeah limited
0: so. he, he may have done i don't know for certain but i know he's in miri okay he's one of the kids in miri oh oh really so, well wow. i had no so, idea so you could you can argue did he go from miri to joining starfleet and is he the same guy or is he one of the kids in on the children shall lead it's one of them Hmm. But anyway my, my fan canon is he's that kid. I didn't know that. Yeah, it's brilliant. I mean I think the Grissom having pink seats. <laughs> I was looking at that going pink? That's a that's an odd design choice for a military vessel. Although you can argue it's a science vessel.
2: And yeah. look, we're gonna we're gonna visit revisit this later, but uh Captain Esteban probably not much more effective than Captain Harriman.
0: No, he's quite crap as a captain. But again, exactly. you know, maybe a science captain isn't expected to go into battle. I don't know. But Cruise is is absolutely fantastic in it. The, have you read the DC comics adaptation of this?
2: I haven't. I, I but DC, I'm wishing I
0: had. The DC comic book adaptation. You can pick it up in cheap bins now. I see. I, it all I the have time.
2: the Star, I have the Star Trek uh, DVD of the comics DVD. So I, I go, and go and check I it out. It in there. It's
0: it's got a brilliant cover by Howard Chaykin. Absolutely fantastic cover. And the art in it, considering it's by the guys who did the monthly series, is really good. Now, Tom Sutton and Ricardo Villagranza on the monthly series would be variable, I think is the word uh-huh. <laughs> that we'd look for. But it's a really good adaptation of the film. And they alter the line of dialogue. Captain, oh, Guy, what's his name? Who tells Kirk the Enterprise is going to be decommissioned and um, it's 20 years old. In the comic adaptation, they say he's 40 years old. And apparently that line was in the script, and then Hal Bennett changed it at the last minute because he thought audiences would be confused. And you're like, you do know who your audience is, right? <laughs> you do know that your audience of Star Trek fans are going to go, wait a minute, the Enterprise is way older than 20 years old. So that was an, a change that he made at the last minute that confused me slightly. But in every other respect, I think The Search for Spock is is a gem in the canon. I really do. Destroy their
2: moves. odd number theory like immediately. Done. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So who great. feel they have a valid criticism of the motion picture? You know, they I think their argument totally falls flat once this one comes out.
0: Yeah, because it's it's absolutely really, really good. Horner's score's great, but very familiar, if you've heard his Battle Beyond the Stars score.
1: Yeah. And even Aliens. Yeah, a lot of James Horner's leitmotif motif actually fits together. There's not much of a variation between you know two and three and themes and aliens and a lot of his other things it, it, it's it's not as grandiose as goldsmiths but it does it does have that sort of, it's got a nice blend between goldsmith and between say a john williams as well so it's it's a it's a good score i, I can
0: listen to it and be entertained by it, especially stealing the enterprise mm-hmm. which is a fantastic score for a great scene and all the way through that the way Shatner's playing it you get the, the he's playing it as he's not entirely sure this is going to work he's actually playing it as very nervous throughout that, that whole scene that come on guys speed it up speed it up it's really really good
1: that's stand up scene yeah that's well, the whole idea scene in the film and the whole idea that they've automated this entire ship that usually has a crew of like what 400 people mm. down to be run by 5 that's the. Obviously, they're not going to be able to do a lot of things that they would if they had the full crew on there. But yeah, the the fact that Scotty is rigged it up to just be able to I mean, run from the bridge and that's all is. It's going to give you uh, a lot of time to be concerned about things going wrong, and they what play you, it up beautifully. There's also the
2: the score for the Excelsior, which is kind of a little bit of a light-hearted.
0: I hate the bit where Excelsior breaks down and you hear... Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs>
0: I think that's a little bit camp, a little bit too comedy. But I do like Scotty's giving him the butts, nuts and bolts. He's dismantled the transwarp drive. <laughs> but later on, I love Scotty's line about, yeah, I've, I've rigged it, that we can basically fly the thing, but I didn't think we'd be taking her into battle. We've not got much in the way of weapons. So he's yeah. not had time to set it up to run completely. Enterprise-D would can run with two people. So that was a nice realistic moment. And Shatner then goes into Kirk doing Corbomite maneuver. He's bluffing through that entire conversation with Cruise, And Cruz calls him on it. Which again Just is something we've not really seen before. Yeah. He's actually met an adversary worthy of him. Cruise—it's For me, Cruise is one of the best Klingons ever. Christopher Lloyd is really, really good in it. The only thing that would have made this better is if he'd brought John Colicos back. But
1: that's no disrespect to Christopher Lloyd. Who I think he's brilliant in it. No, I have to agree. I think uh, he, he sets the standard for the Klingons, you know, coming forward from this movie. And there are some good Klingons in the other movies, but Christopher Lloyd is the one that I think you base all those sort of evil villainous Klingons throughout the rest of the movies on, and it, he's just outstanding. He is. He's brilliant. And especially when you consider he was second choice. They wanted Edward James
0: Olmos.
2: Hmm. Who that I think also would have been brilliant had they gotten him. Hmm. I, I could see oh. him doing the role very well, so I, it's not—it's not one of these ones where you look at it and say, "Oh, thank God they didn't cast that guy." It was a situation where they—I I think they couldn't lose. Either guy was going to do great with it. I think. Mm,
0: I, could, I think Christopher Lloyd probably had more to prove. He was probably known as Reverend Jim, and this was his chance to show he could be more than that. Mm-hmm. And he does it brilliantly. Very much so. Should we
1: rank this one? Yep. I'll go ahead. I'm, I'm hard pressed not to give it a 5 but when I consider that Wrath of Khan is a 5 I'm going to have to just give it a, a half a bar below and say a 4.5 this is perhaps the second best Star Trek film in my opinion so uh, because of all the things we've said 4.5 bars oh
2: yeah 4.5 <laughs> <laughs> you know, this is yeah. different but uh, it's, 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 it's not flawless it's you know there are a couple of moments again probably the the uh excelsior co- engine conking out is is probably one of the biggest ones that you just pointed out to me that's uh, akin to the bird doing a double take in james bond uh, <laughs> uh, oh dear yes yeah. but uh but realistically, I, you know, I, I almost feel like if I watch the Wrath of Khan, I immediately have to watch this. I have to do a double feature. And despite the fact that they're considered a trilogy, I don't necessarily have to watch the Voyage Home afterwards. I, I and I'm not to not to belittle the Voyage Home because I, I enjoy that on its own merits. But it's a different animal. These two belong together. That one is on its own as far as I'm concerned. And. Uh, while I really enjoy that movie, I think it might be the most overrated of the Star Trek films. This I one agree this one is is superior to it as far as I'm concerned.
0: Yes, this one I'm going to give it 4.5 as well, so we're all being very, very boring and agreeing with each other today. Uh, For different reasons that I think the motion picture gets that high of a score. I think this is good Star Trek first, and not necessarily a great movie in and of itself. It does have flaws, did the XLTO, some of the editings, the budgetary strings are showing, but it did in the original show, and that doesn't matter if the story that they're telling is compelling. And in this case, it is. Um, Going back to what Paul said about this being part two, Nimoy wanted the guy who scored Stairfret 4, Lawrence Rosenman, to score this film because he's his friend, so nepotism lives in the 23rd century, and have Bennett doing his job as producer said, no, this is part two of a two-part story, you can't change the score midway through part two. We either use the same guy, or we use a guy very similar. And I think, again, Bennett proving his worth, there. I think Rosenman's score for this would have been dreadful,
2: and and I liked the score in, in the Voyage Home at moments, but that movie had a totally different tone than this. Yeah, that's, that's think, the thing. Yeah, I don't think that music would have fit this. I, I think of you know the music at the end of the Voyage Home when they're uh, they're, they're frolicking in the water, and and you know you, you just kind of hear that that soft like happy music almost. There is yeah, no point so. in this movie where that would have fit. At no point, no. even when Spock is, uh, is is resurrected at the end. You needed something more somber, more serious, which is what we got.
0: But well, The Voyage Home's a light, frothy comedy for the most part. The Search for Spock isn't. Yeah, exactly. Okay, The speaking of light, frothy comedies, <laughs> the <laughs> next odd-numbered movie was Star Trek V, The Final Frontier, Ooh. which debuted in 1989. It was the first film to come out... Whilst there was a new Star Trek show on television, whether that impacted on its gross, which was $70 million on a $27 million budget, I don't know, I guess we'll never know the answer to that. William Shatner stepped into the director's chair for The Final Frontier. Paul, you showed me uh, went first last time, so you yeah, want to go, go ahead, first Paul. this time?
2: Okay, I saw this in the movies, I didn't, but then I could say that for
1: all of them. <laughs> Same here, I saw everyone, every Star Trek movie in the theatre, so... Even Nemesis, which I regret. But that's I, for, that's I for regret me. nothing. <laughs> uh, I, can, I can tell you,
2: again, to, to give you where I'm coming from, uh, there's no such thing as bad Star Trek to me. I can watch any Star Trek, and that's why, I guess, while everybody else is uh, having so much fun tearing apart the most recent iterations, I can still find something to enjoy in them, and, and I'm okay. Uh, and the same holds true for this. This is a movie... It, it, I, I view it and I almost see it as an incomplete movie. It's not the movie they were trying to make. You could see the grand designs in there, uh, but it does fail on on several levels. That doesn't mean it's totally unenjoyable to watch to me. I still find things that I enjoy in it. I thought some of the acting performances were fine. I really didn't have a problem with them, and I'll, I'll give Shatner credit for getting some of those acting performances. Uh... Probably the the two greatest flaws, uh, you know, no no great surprises here. One that they tried to play too much on the comedy that they did successfully in the Voyage Home, and some of it falls flat in this movie, and two, clearly, they had some grand aspirations that the budget kind of cut short on them. And if you read uh, William Shatner's Uh, Star Trek movie memories he probably overstates the way the budget got cut on him because he had these plans and they told him okay well you can't quite do that but you could do this and then he went ahead and filmed it to do what they told him he could do and then they cut the budget more so that they couldn't do it. Uh, he, He had this whole sequence planned out for the end of it where there were going to be these rock creatures and then they went from you know one type of design, I think like a CGI design to a man in a big rock suit and there were going to be several of them and then they cut them down. Well, you could have two rock creatures and eventually it got to the point where he said you know what, it's not worth it. It's not going to come off the way we wanted to do uh, wanted to do it. And I ultimately pictured the rock creature that fights with uh, Tim Allen in, in Galaxy Quest as, <laughs> as what they were trying to do uh but you know who knows that's that's obviously something that that was scripted but never filmed so we don't know what it would have looked like had they been able to do it and i've never actually seen uh you know the 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 script for that portion so i don't know what it would have come out like but ultimately i guess when i look at this if i had to rate it i would say you could see that they were trying to do good on many levels that comes through but you know falls short uh, I still enjoy it as a movie. I could still watch it. I remember afterwards reading an interview with Lawrence Luckenbill, where he he basically said, "Anybody who says William Shatner's a bad director, I'll, I'll fight them." <laughs> you know that he was he was so enamored with uh, Shatner's uh, directing style during the movie. I'm sure he encouraged them to act over the top a little bit. the The opening sequence where Luckenbill confronts his little crony, I really enjoy. I think the nadir of the movie is probably when uh, Uhura is singing naked. Uh, yeah. So, you know, you get the highs and the lows in this movie. It, it really, I think it hits both. I really do. Uh, the the worst special effects sequence, I think, is when Scotty cuts them out of the brig and, and you see the wall. It looks so phony as it falls to the ground. Uh, or, or even the scene when uh, Sulu pilots the shuttle into the ship. You could see that, that they wanted it to be so much more spectacular than what the special effects let them do. So, pluses and minuses, I think the Klingon villain is kind of a cipher. I don't think there's really anything there. Uh, but I do like some of the acting. I do like the concept of the movie. And I think the end, when they meet up with the alien-slash-god figure, I kind of like that. <laughs> I think people put that down, and I enjoy that. I, I, I like the way they did the voice on the character. I like the way... Uh, the way Kirk stood up to him. Uh, there's, there's a lot of aspects of this movie that, again, I think are, are positives. There are negatives. I'm not going to try and deny that. Uh, your your mileage may vary on this one. But, again, all Trek is good Trek to me.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I have to agree with you. I think this is one of the first of the Star Trek movies that is primarily a Kirk, Spock, and McCoy movie. This has... If you're looking at Star Trek being a show about the Trinity, this is a movie about the Trinity. It focuses on the main three characters. Obviously, because Kirk is directing, Kirk is going to be the main character, and he's allowed to do some things that I don't think William Shatner would be able to do pretty much at any time, and specifically at the time that he's uh, filming the movie. The you rock, his rock climbing. Scene. Yeah, the rock climbing sequence. You know, that's not Shatner at all. How but do you it's know? Oh, because <laughs> you can tell he suddenly gains twenty pounds. <laughs> yes, uh, uh, but but beside that, it's 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 Kirk. Kirk can do anything. Um, there are some really good moments between the three of them. I like the scene where they're out camping. and They're just having an enjoyable time where they're, they're roasting. Marshmallows, yes um some of the comedy falls short uh sulu and Chekhov as a sort of laurel and hardy or uh, abbott and costello type uh, characters didn't really work for me uh the relationship between scotty and uhura was kind of i don't know if it was ever played up in the series all that much but it felt uncomfortable in this um Yes, the Klingon characters were kind of cyphers in this, uh, especially the main antagonist, but we uh, do get a uh, an example of an, a very attractive Klingon female, So, and she doesn't have the uh, open uh, breast window, so Ooh. that also helps. <laughs> Ooh. Um, uh, let's see. I think this was probably one of the first films in the Star Trek franchise that tried to majorly use... Uh, digital animation, CGI animation, and you can tell it's not up to par yet. Uh, like like you said, the scene with the shuttle and the scene with the Klingon you know, firing lasers or firing phasers look just kind of... It, it doesn't hold up. But if you're looking for a film that is about the main three cast characters, Kirk, Spock, and McCoy, then this is a film that at least the least scratch your itch for that i think we're gonna have our first disagreement (laughs) uh-oh uh Uh, uh,
0: if this wasn't the original series cast i think this is an utter bomb i really do i think shatner's ego and sense of humor is allowed too much of a free reign a pool table with water in it the go climb a rock t-shirt that he wears on the bridge of the enterprise i think the gravity boots bit is fucking awful both times that they use it i think lawrence looking Billy's wasted because he is really really good in a thankless role i did just none of this works for me other than seeing the three of those guys together again the best scenes in the film of them just goofing around the campfire where shatner doesn't go over the top it's just none of it works for me at all some individual moments Are satisfying, but it reminds me very much of Superman Returns. It doesn't matter how many good bits you have in your film if it's built on a faulty foundation, it's going to crumble and fall. And I don't think he was reined in enough by Harve Bennett on this one. Whether Harve didn't want to do it and was just cashing a paycheck, or because he's even in this film, he's the admiral they speak to on the view screen. Or whether or not Shatner was just out of control and couldn't be reined in, I don't know. But ultimately, it's it's the producer who should rein in the director, but it's the director's film. And the failure of it is Shatner's fault. I, I know all the problems they have, but his name's on his director. The story doesn't work terribly well for me. It would have worked much better if they established that Spot was a cousin or his dad's brother but having him be Spock's brother just doesn't work at all. I mean, and he's lying, well, you never asked. It's just, oh. Nimoy seems like he's sleepwalking through the entire film. Like, he doesn't want to be there anywhere. The Scotty banging his head when he says he knows this shit like the back of his hand. And uh, yeah, I'll give the, you that one. <laughs>
1: yeah, the, the comedy,
0: that comedy bit was bad. Chekhov and Sulu lost in the forest. And what are we watching here? Is this Hee Haw? And it's... <laughs> Oh, if if
1: banjo sequence, Yeah, if Chekhov and Sulu could have popped up in a cornfield, that would have been awesome. The the only thing that makes this watchable to me is it's the original crew.
0: And even then, it's a bad second season episode. It's not as bad as some of the third season ones. It's not and the children shall lead, which is terrible. But it's a bad second season episode. It's it's inoffensive. It wiles away a hundred minutes or however long it is. And I can watch it purely on the basis of it being those three guys, the original crew going about their business. But not for the first time, I think a Star Trek film will pander to Shatner's ego to the detriment of the movie. And it just it's its easily the worst of the original cycle of Star Trek films for me.
2: Inclu- even including Nemesis, I think. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, you know what i'm going to agree with you on that i just don't dislike it to the level you do <laughs> i mean, in fact i, I don't mean, dislike it at all but i don't uh but it but i would say yeah i would rank this the, the if i had to rank all the Trek movies in order uh, with you know with the original crews uh this would be the bottom
0: yeah. It didn't help as well that at the time this came out next generation was in its third season which is arguably the best season of that show, it didn't deliver a terrible... Well, all right, maybe there's one terrible segment in season three, the one where Deanna Troy loses her powers and just turns into a bitch for 45 minutes. But for the Trey's most into? part, season, well, <laughs> a bigger bitch for, for 45 minutes. For On a weekly basis, you were watching Star Trek that could, couldn't put a foot wrong, and you'd got the best of both worlds and yesterday's Enterprise in that same season that we got this in the movie theatres. And it's just, it just didn't stack up. And suddenly the original crew were looking tired.
2: Yeah, they did start to show their age a little bit in this one. Uh, you know, they, they, they were getting a little bit more paunchy. Uh, and, I mean, you can't blame them. The guys at this point, they're, they're all...
0: Uh, they're all in the late
2: 50s. And, and, and uh, I think uh, Doohan and, and uh, Kelly no, were both in Kelly. their 60s at this point.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Kelly looks, I think Kelly looks fine.
1: Yeah, he's that probably the best. Struggle look suits, McCoy. Yeah, he he looks the, the most fit. Everyone else looks like they put on, you know, <laughs> they've been spending too many days at Five Guys and it hasn't been working <laughs> out for them.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's there's nothing wrong with getting older. Let's not turn this into an ageist tract.
1: Cause yeah. Because we're all
0: together. <laughs> exactly. You know? But at the same time, It compared to what we were seeing weekly on TV at this point. Suddenly, the pendulum had swung, and the next generation looked like where it was at, and this just looked sad and and lonely. So, Roanery.
1: Do you think that because the next generation was kind of hitting its stride, that that's a that's a reason why this one kind of feels the way that it does, or do you think that it's primarily because they let Shatner's ego take over the film? I think there's a little bit of both. I think that the script is flawed. And if
0: you're, you're, like I say, if your script is flawed, you've got nowhere to go. But I think on a weekly basis, you were watching yesterday's Enterprise for free. And then you were expected to pay whatever cinema tickets were at this point to go and watch this. And it was just no comparison. Yesterday's Enterprise, I mean, I know yesterday's Enterprise is the peak of the next generation hill at the top of the Paramount Mountain. But still, the third season of Next Gen was almost flawless. In many ways. So on a weekly basis you were getting really good Star Trek. And then the cinema one that you were expected to pay for just just didn't didn't stand up. I can agree. I'll go first then on this one. I give this two. And I'll be honest with you, I only give it two because it's the, the original guys. I think it's, it's not a very good film. I think it's better Star Trek than it is a film. But it's not particularly good Star Trek.
2: I'm going to give it two and a half. So we're disagreeing finally on one. <laughs> Not by, <laughs> only by half a bar of gold pressed platinum, but you know, we're still disagreeing at least. It's there, so in it. I, I think I saw a little bit more positive than you did. Uh, I, I I I watch it and I see potential that wasn't reached, and some of the potential actually carries me through it. I think the biggest flaws are, again, the failure to properly use comedy, the failure to be subtle about comedy at all uh, on, on the first one. And secondly, I think the budget restrictions really did hurt them. I think had, I'm, I'm, and I'm, I'm giving a, a little leap of faith here, that had they had the budget they wanted, they would have made a more compelling and exciting and commonsensical, you know, would have made sense uh, ending to the movie, that would have been superior to what we got, and I think a, a better end game would have made it a better movie overall. So, yeah, I agree. Sybok shouldn't have been his brother to to just pull that out of your ass at the last second. Uh, you know, it it, it it doesn't fly, but I, I can overlook it somehow. Uh, you know, Kirk had a brother that he obviously didn't give a shit about either, because when he died, <laughs> it didn't matter.
0: It, DC's comic adaptation changed that line. I lost two brothers, but I was lucky; I got one back.
2: Yeah, that's much better. That's much better. And,
0: and Jim Dillard turned this into a pretty decent novel, as well. So you know, there was a decent story in here.
2: She was, made and, it, and, and maybe that 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 plays out with what I'm saying about it that it, that it had the potential to be better. Um. And like I said, I give it some credit for, for potential and I probably shouldn't because we should just be talking about what we actually got. But uh, when uh, I watched but it, any, I can't help. any
0: movie that wastes David Warner though.
2: Hmm. Well, well they, they, have, they get they get another shot at David he, Warner. He gets uh,
1: he gets a chance to come back and shine. And yeah, on the next generation as well.
2: Mm-hmm. Yes. So uh but you know, two and a half stars, it's it's watchable. I, I if I'm if I'm channel surfing I'm not necessarily stopping on it, but I'm also not necessarily, if there's nothing else, I'm sticking with it.
0: <laughs> I'd leave it on in the background while I was reading comics. Mm.
2: And, and and is there anything wrong with that?
0: No, not really.
1: Um, For me, I'm going to just give it a, a one one half bar higher. I'm going to give it a three. It's enjoyable. Oh, I thought
0: for a minute you were going to give it one, which would That's have been right. awesome.
1: <laughs> No, I'm gonna give it a three. It's enjoyable. You know, none of these Star Trek films are are unwatchable. There are things to enjoy about the films. This, I will agree with you. This is probably the the lesser of the original series films. Um, if I gave it some thought, I might rank four lower than this, but that's for another day as well. I like the fact that this was the Trinity. There was some good scenes with them together. There were some bad scenes with them together. I will admit the whole "I need my pain" thing and everyone admitting their whatever personal griefs just didn't set well with me. Especially since Kirk, you know, didn't have to tell his one and everyone else did. But whatever. Um, but it's an enjoyable watch. Uh, not the best of the Star Trek movies, but definitely not the worst.
2: So, just, just just to touch on what you just said, Sean, everybody had to say what their pain was. Spock remembers being born,
1: <laughs> and his the <father's laughs> reaction to him. <laughs> that's Vulcan logic. They're that brilliant. They remember everything. I, I'd hate and to think. What, which one do you yeah. think is the worst? Then uh, it, it, it's it's not one we're going to cover. All right. Okay. <laughs> Would that be Nemesis? Then bingo. <laughs> Still oh, well, still, okay. still giving that a rewatch. I rewatched that. And I think they had it on Netflix. I gave it a rewatch after everyone said, Oh, look at it this way, look at it this way. I did, still didn't like it. Okay. Maybe if you look at it with your eyes closed and earplugs on. That might help. <laughs> yes. We journeyed over to the next
0: generation for 1994's Generations. Aptly titled The Original Cast had been pensioned off in Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. And The Next Generation, after seven successful seasons on television, were promoted to the big screen. Generations had a $35 million budget and made $118 million in worldwide box office returns. So, again, did quite well. David Carson, who directed uh, episodes of the show yesterday's Enterprise, was one of his, the pilot for Deep Space Nine. Uh, The episode were... Geordie's trapped on the planet with the Romulans took down the hole that was one of his was the director of generations it was offered to Leonard Nimoy who turned it down all
1: right so Sean you you take the generations baton now this is one of those films that when you watch it that that when you mature the film has a different meaning for you when when i first watched this i was 24 Uh, It was 94. I had just gotten married. I enjoyed the film, but I wasn't too keen on it. Watching it now, or rewatching it recently, I get because I'm a father and I have children, the film has a different meaning to it. Jean-Luc Picard and his relationship of uh, not having children and his desire to have children and that thing really hit home for me. That was one of the things that I really enjoyed about the film. The... The concept is really interesting. This vortex that takes you into and is gives you whatever whatever desire that you want. It gives you essentially joy. It is a very interesting sci-fi concept that I don't think we really touched on since the the motion picture. Really, um, I think some of the bad things were that they had to be sh- shackled with using. The original set, I liked it when they updated the Enterprise and gave it a new look. It gave it a more militaristic look. I was never, I get, I, I eventually grew to enjoy the uh, Enterprise D, despite the fact that it looks like you know a Vegas lounge. <laughs> but um, yeah, the, I think I think the thing that really just worked for me was the character moments in this, especially with uh, Patrick Stewart. His uh, the scene of him, the Nexus, and him just being so overjoyed about having children after we get the reveal that he has basically lost the rest of his family and their the the Picard family line now ends with him. So it's being being where I am now in my life. The film had a more of an emotional impact on me. Um, This is written by Ronald Moore. Uh, I like Ronald Moore's stuff. I think think the uh, Kirk aspect of it, at least for the first 20 minutes, was superb. That's the way I think Captain Kirk should have gone out. In fact, if you don't like this film, just watch the first 20 minutes of it, and then when they pan to the ship, switch it off, and you'll be completely satisfied with the film. Paul? All right.
2: Uh... Much like the last movie, The Final Frontier, I see I see lofty goals that don't get met. And that's the problem I have with it. I think uh, I think they wanted to do a real real exciting sequence with the original cast, but I think Leonard Leonard Nimoy and, and uh DeForest Kelly not being in it really, really took away from it. Uh, in fact, I think they got a little lazy there, and they didn't even bother rewriting some sequences that they should have when they planned for them to be in there, because when Chekhov starts making people nurses, uh, it, that's, it does, clearly yeah, that's, line. that's clearly McCoy's line, and when uh, when when Shatner says about Bedside Manor, that that line was clearly meant to be said to McCoy, uh, so they got a little lazy with with some of the writing, I thought, in that sequence. Uh, Harriman is kind of shown to be very incompetent. I don't know that they put him in charge of the flagship, uh, so, so I, you know, like that—that that just didn't. It would have—it would have it been better if he had been shown to be competent, but just not Kirk, and then Kirk steps in and, and helps him. But he really wasn't. He was shown. He was almost portrayed as a buffoon, and I—I I, I didn't like that aspect of it. Uh, I still, to this day, I keep going back to what chris and scott said when they read when they uh, reviewed the movie or when they did the commentary on the movie that had they had joan collins be the lost love for shatner it would have just added so much more of a level of of, uh, of of really understanding how this is his paradise and what he's giving up by leaving there uh just having you know uh antonia or whatever it is somebody we've never met we never cared about you know, mm. it's just uh, it's just viewed as another just another woman in his life, which is nothing. She could've you could have had a, an Orion slave girl, it would have been just as effective. Uh, you know, if if you weren't gonna do Joan Collins, you could have done Carol Marcus. One of those two I think would have been really just adding to the to the pathos in the movie.
0: Uh, have
2: even bought yeah I know go Miramani
0: of his of his
2: child that she died carrying. I'd mm-hmm. have bought that. Yeah, that, I mean, you, there's things that could have been done easily with that, and, and if Joan Collins didn't want to be in it, it doesn't matter. You didn't see her up close. It still could have, he could have, They could have just used the name. It still would have changed what was going on. Uh, you Joan know, you Collins have to would have been in it. I'm sorry, Joan Collins
0: isn't. Joan yes. Collins is
2: particularly picky about her job.
0: She would yeah. have been in it.
2: No, yeah, I, I agree, but I'm saying like, you, you didn't have did to really you change. Know? You just had to change the name that he said. That's all you have to change, and it would have been. It would have. It would have added to this movie. Um, those are my negatives. Oh, that and and the fact that that Kirk died over a television remote. I have to say, <laughs> uh, I I really like his death scene when he just gives the oh my. I like that. I don't know. Like he's seeing something. He's seeing the bright light. He's stepping into the gates of heaven or something. I don't know. But there's something about that that just really hit it. Hit it. It, it hit the mark for me a lot i i really like that um the move the movie is hurt because really what it is is it's an expanded episode of the tv series it's not a movie uh i think more so than than the search for spock i think this this is clearly just a two-hour episode of star trek the next generation i think it's, it's a the pretty- season
0: eight premiere isn't
2: it yeah I think it's a pretty good season 8 premiere. I think it's it's well done. I think it's certainly a, a high budget for for a season 8 <laughs> premiere. But it really is. It, it doesn't have that scope where you really feel that this is something that, that needed to be done on the big screen. Other than the fact that you have Kirk's death scenes. Uh, it, it's I, I enjoy this a lot more than I think you're going to tell us you do, Andy. Uh, but... I do see a lot of lost potential on this one, and and other than that, I enjoy this movie, and, and I think it's 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 all right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay,
0: you're ready. It does. Uh, for ages, I've actually gone on record as saying I think this is terrible. I think it's a disservice to the character of Captain Kirk. I think it's wildly uneven. I think that it's flabby. ...in a lot of places... ...particularly once we get into the Nexus... ...and we have that interminable scene of Picard... ...with his Dickensian family... ...which is boring as hell... ...and then we've got William Shatner's ego trip... ...sorry, Kirk's fantasy... ...of living in a cabin surrounded by Dobermans and horses... ...and some woman we've never met and don't care about... ...that's awful... ...and the score is bland as hell... ...because it's, you know, basically the Deep Space Nine theme... ...over and over again... ...and yet watching it for this certainly for the first two thirds of it i found myself really enjoying it now whether that's because we've now gone past this era and it's actually nice to go back and revisit the cast of the next generation whether it's now star trek has for better or worse become some a blockbuster science fantasy action adventure as opposed to thought-provoking science fiction whether it was just nice to spend some time with some old friends again in a movie that i previously despised whether it's just i have finally accepted that this is the film we got not the one i wanted it to be then i don't know it could be any of those reasons it could be all of those reasons i still think there's a major misstep at the end i think instead of kirk going to Picard and helping him fight Soren, Picard should have been fighting Sauron. Kirk should have took command of Enterprise D, and it shouldn't have crashed. It could have been destroyed in battle, and the crew got off in other way. But how cool would it have been to have Captain Kirk on the bridge of Enterprise D at the end of this movie, commanding the crew? And I think that's the major misstep of the film. We never get to see Kirk on the Enterprise D, which is the biggest thing I wanted. But rewatching it for this, the thing that struck me: one, the cinematography is brilliant. The shots of Enterprise D with it bathed in that yellow and glow light of the um, the sun around the Amagasso Observatory is gorgeous. I don't know who the cinematographer was of this film, but he did a fantastic job. The Enterprise D has never looked better than it does in this film, and they've they changed quite a lot of it around due to it being a film and not a tv show they had to expand the bridge ever so slightly they mention all this on the the text commentary there's also a brilliant supporting cast in this the opening scene Jeanette Goldstein's there on the bridge of Enterprise B obviously Captain Cameron is there from um, Ferris Bueller <laughs> uh Glenn Morshauer from 24 is there on the bridge so it's Tim Russ not playing Tuvok sadly which would have been a nice touch but voyager hadn't happened at this point so there's a brilliant supporting cast in the brilliant the first 10 minutes is great kirk just pacing up and down the bridge as hammer harriman makes each wrong choice and him going it's not my ship it's not my ship it's not my ship and you see he's just dying to do something would that scene have played better with spock and mccoy absolutely It's not that I don't like Koenig and Duan, but certainly in the the form of Koenig, I don't think Chekhov was ever that engaging anyway. So you very definitely got the idea here. He's here for the paycheck. And it shows. Uh, Nimoy apparently turned down directing because he didn't think the script was up to much. He's not wrong in a lot of places. I think it's maudlin where it should be exciting. But the scenes of Picard crying over losing his family is touching. There is too much backstory, I think. This is why I think, like Paul said, it does work better as a season eight premiere. There's data's emotion chip, there's references to family, Lursa and Beator are in it. So there's all of that references to past shows. But for the first two thirds of it, I actually really enjoyed it this time. And I think primarily because of Brent Spiner. I watched this with my kids, Adam and Annie watched this one with me, and they both thought he was hysterical to see him where he's talking to his tricorder as a glove puppet,
2: singing like and Anya,
0: yeah, Anya thought was hysterically funny uh, Adam thought it was brilliant where he said I hate this it's it's revolting another one yes please was funny is oh shit lying as Deanna crashes the Enterprise was really good the thing that amazed me about it this time as well and I'll shut up in a minute because there are two other people on the show was the amount of stock footage in this film there are shots from the TV show when the Enterprise saucer section that's taken straight from Encounter at Farpoint just done up for the big screen, because ILM still had the original elements. And the Klingon ship blowing up is taken from... Star Trek, Star Trek 6. 3? Yeah, no, uh, 6. It's um, oh, really? Chang's cruiser growing up. Blowing oh, up at the yeah. end of Star Trek 6. And the shot of the Enterprise coming over... Um, The camera is a stock shot from the TV show, but that's there to insert that they cut out an entire scene of Beverly looking at data after the the emotion chip fuses in his head. They cut that entire sequence out, so that's there to cover that. But I enjoyed it a lot more this time around than I thought I would. And although I still think Kirk is treated incredibly badly in it, and it does serve as Shatner more than the character of Kirk, because they knew if they didn't have him, they didn't have a film, basically. It was a lot more entertaining than I remembered it, and there were bits of it that were really good. And I do like the new uniforms that they were, that would ultimately go on to be Voyager uniforms, I think, mm-hmm. or Deep Space Nine uniforms. They, I really like that.
1: Deep Space Nine, and then I think they'd go to Voyager, yeah.
0: Yeah, and some of the budget for this, I think, is an interesting touch. They did design all new uniforms for the crew and jettisoned them at the last minute because they thought they looked naff when they actually were wore by the actors, which is why there's a mix of uniforms in the film some of them were in TV show uniforms, and some of them were in Voyager uniforms or Deep Space Nine uniforms. And it's because at the last minute they changed their mind about changing the costumes. Because and also the knock-on effect, they would have had to change all the Deep Space Nine costumes,
2: which they eventually did with the next movie, anyway.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so maybe which the I, uniforms I, I, that's, that that for this just favorite. didn't work. Yeah, but the gray with the the gray the gray jacket with the blue or the yellow or yeah. red undershirt. I think under, they really,
2: they really like, hit the right uniform with that one. I, I, yeah, I, that, that was... is the most striking to me.
1: I, you know, I think I think that the, the uniform that they got, the grey, actually fit better for the sort of darker tone of Deep Space Nine. But we'll get to talking about that here in a couple of years.
0: <laughs> couple of years. Yeah, I think I'm at the same point on this one that Paul is with Final Frontier. I do think it's incredibly flawed and baggy and flabby, and yet I enjoyed it a lot more than I remembered enjoying it. And I actually think Carson does a pretty decent job of trying to use the expanded widescreen picture to great effect, even if it is just a big budget version of the TV show. But I don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with that, as we'll get into in the next film. Hmm.
2: Yeah, uh, you know, one of the things that that jumped out at me when I was doing my rewatch of this is, uh, and I was going to say data with emotion, but actually before he even gets the emotion, data is kind of a dick. <laughs> he just really first, but you know, the, the on on the uh, what you call the, the plank Enterprise scene, ship. the yeah. plank scene before he has his emotion ship, and then after the you know it's like come on, we're trying to work here, and he's telling jokes and he's he he's just like you know it's like shut up. You know? <laughs> I don't know I think and, 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 and I don't Beverly mean, that, I, don't mean that, I don't mean to say that that takes away from the movie because I think it actually adds to the movie, but like what a jerk he acts like Well, Brent Spiner must
0: have a pretty good agent because he's bumped up to third in the catalyst now yeah well he' he he
2: you know assumed kind of the Spock role, <laughs> you know and got
0: himself some decent money.
2: Yeah, and, and then I, I don't even remember at the time this came out where he was saying, you know, we got to make these movies fast because I'm not going to stay young forever and, uh, you know, I, I'm not supposed to be aging. And they, they were trying to figure out a way to, to write in that somehow his program is changed to let his body age or something. But that, that yes. never happened. That would have been really, you know, just like fan fiction to write it that way i think so they, they they were wise not to they really did try to put a lot into this movie i mean there's so many different subplots going on and things going on and uh yeah. I, I don't think i like the fact that they emphasized Who- whoopi goldberg as much as they did uh you know she was never that
1: major of a part of the cast well, I think it was a nice way to tie her into uh, the character of Malcolm Weytel and Soren, and and, and and then that's the way she would be able to identify who this character was, and give Picard the knowledge of what happened to her uh, uh, with the Enterprise B incident. So I think that's the one reason that Will be Goldberg has such a major role in this picture.
2: I think I she, she was always better. Good. She was always better when they. Gave her just a little bit of a a line, and like when when she when she stabs the fork through Q's hand, that was a great scene for her. I thought.
1: I think you just like that because you just are annoyed with Q with what the Q episode on Deep Space Nine. Well, I mean i I always liked when Q was on, except
2: for on Deep Space Nine.
1: Uh, okay. When he was on <laughs>
2: TNG, I always enjoyed it. But I thought I thought just you just give her a little bit. And let her be this mysterious character. They gave giving her, you know, more of a background than everything. I thought hurt her a little bit. Hmm. Yeah, um, I thought
0: she was all right in this. I mean, she still had a, a large amount of floppy hats, but that's her character at this point. I I thought she was the wheat link once they were in the nexus. I think that, but she was kind of in Yester's enterprise. She served the same purpose. She was the one who knew that uh, this was an alternate reality and something about it wasn't right. But you know, I don't. I don't quite know what it's like being inside Joy means. But I know, but I'd like it
2: to point out. out.
1: Yeah, I'm mean, sure. Depends it, who Joy is. It was. Yeah. Um, it was it, a good. Go. On. I was going to say, if if you want to make a horrible pun, I'm certain Dave Atterbury knows what. Oh, right, his wife's name is Joy, uh, isn't it? Ooh, sorry. That's, well, that's sorry, Dave. No, we're not. No, so no, no, no. Know no. You, no. We, no. We love you, Dave.
0: Yes, I do apologize I'd forgotten your name your wife's name was joy i am sorry uh, yeah it was it was you know she was all right it was it was better than I'd remembered it so go on let's rank
1: it um I'll give it a two point five uh, it's middle of the road nothing amazing uh, nothing horrible well um, well there are some things that are horrible in, in it but <laughs> I, I I guess i guess the the major misstep for it is the characterization of kirk especially in the latter half of the film he came off very self-centered and kind of buffoonish at times there's the sequence where he's making breakfast for the not edith keeler character and he just he looks dopey he looks it, it, it feels like a jerry lewis movie and it's not it doesn't work for kirk no, I, th- I, th- I
0: think that they're very definitely trying to remake Wrath of Khan, aren't they? Right down to the villain. I mean, Malcolm McDowell's brilliant.
2: Oh, yes. With what he's given.
0: Yes, with what he's given. But they are very trying... They're trying very definitely to ape what that film was about. And Ronald D. Moore on the commentary says, we weren't old enough at this point to write about what we're writing about.
2: Yeah, I, w- I would tend to agree with that, that they are trying to hit the same themes. Uh, and and to some extent, they hit them. I think this, this movie's got highs and lows in it. And, uh, you know, the, the scene when, when he finds out about uh, his brother and his nephew dying, I, I, I like that scene a lot, even, even though it has Troy in it. <laughs> uh.
0: <laughs> Why does it have different actors for his brother and, and his nephew, though? It's still pictures. Surely they had still pictures available from family. Well,
2: they do have the nephew in the scene of his fantasy. So oh, yeah, their right actor right, yeah. wasn't available. Now, the brother, there's no reason they couldn't have a, a photo of.
0: Yeah, because it was Thingyo. It was, um, wow, what was his name? He's quite a famous British actor. I know Samantha Egger was his missus. Doesn't mention anything about her dying. Jeremy Kemp.
2: Mm hmm. Well, oh, maybe, he, could didn't, maybe he didn't him. give them the rights to, to do it. Mm, possibly
0: yeah all right well uh, what do you give it paul
2: uh i'm gonna say there are good points in this movie there are bad points in this movie there's some missed opportunities but overall i enjoy it uh it could have been better it could have been worse and to me it's by definition it's it's just right in the middle of the road so what i consider to be average when we do our ratings above average four or five below average two one average is a three and that's, I think that's what this hits. I think this is, you know, there's, there's points where it could have been better, points where it could have been worse. So I'm going three.
0: Yeah, I'm going to go with Sean and go for 2.5. I think it's better than the Final Frontier, and I enjoyed it a lot more on this viewing than I have in the past. But, uh, you know, there's, there's just too much about it that doesn't quite work as well as it should do the next one and final one that we'll be looking at today in the odd numbered star trek movies is star trek insurrection which came out in 1998 this one was directed by jonathan frakes commanding william riker himself it had a 58 million dollar budget and returned 112 million worldwide so the budgets have gone up quite significantly in between Generations in this one, but the worldwide box office receipts have not increased noticeably, shall we say, which probably led to the uh, the end of the Next Generation movies. What do we think of Insurrection, fellas? First thing I do want to point out, Daniel Hugh Kelly's in it, who was Hardcastle and McCormick, who was McCormick. Brian Keefer's in Deep Space Nine. I really want these two characters to meet up at some point
1: mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> and have a red spaceship that does weird things and jumps over planets because I think that would be awesome
2: I guess I'm first on this one
0: yeah go go on you go first Paul Uh,
2: I think this one suffered from the fan review point of view uh, because First Contact was an action movie which I enjoyed very much and I know Scott and Chris were uh, anti uh, First Contact so they may disagree with me on that but i think the fans expected another action movie after first contact because that was so well received and instead of making an action movie they really went more back to the roots and made a thoughtful character study that has some action in it which is more akin again to an episode of the tv show but i think done successfully i thought that it was well-written, I thought the acting was really good, and I thought the directing kept it on more on that small end, which I think suited the story very well. But again, I think expectations were that there was going to be a more action-filled movie, and that's what I think hurt it at the box office and in critical reviews. I remember when this came out, I saw it in the theater, and not that long afterwards, I was on a cruise. And, you know, in the movie theater on the cruises, they'll show movies that are no longer in the movie theater but have not come out on home video yet. Uh, And I found myself in a situation, because I'm an early riser and I was with a group that everybody wanted to sleep in, that I'd get up in the morning, take a shower, and I'd be sitting there, the only one awake, so I'd go to the movie theater, and I think of the seven days we were on the movie, four of them early in the morning, they were showing this movie in the movie theater, and every time I went in and I sat down and I watched it. Uh, And I really grew to appreciate this more each time I watched it i thought it was well served by having a quality actress in the romantic interest role but somebody who was not well known somebody who who really didn't have much of a movie career she was really a broadway actress uh and and she had the chops to to be there with patrick stewart and and you could see why she was appealing to him and she suited his character as somebody he would be attracted to and and you know in, in many ways there's a lot of the love story in there. On the other hand, you have the the corruption of the Federation, which I'm sure made. Was Gene Roddenberry alive at this point, or was he already passed? Oh, no, Gene,
1: Gene, Gene was dead at so, this point. So I would have had him
2: spinning in his grave because you know Gene Roddenberry always wanted the Federation to be absolutely perfect. But I thought it was really, really well done. How they were, you know, this this small group was influencing them and making them uh, do things that they shouldn't be doing. Uh, I, I love the first sequence when Data basically. You know, rebels against what they're doing. His programming rebels against it, and he reveals himself and reveals what they're doing on this planet, and basically destroys the Federation's entire uh, their, their entire plan. You now, I could do without the uh, Gilbert and Sullivan singing a little bit, but other than that, uh, I really, really like this movie a lot.
1: For me, this movie, and I think I kind of would fall into the category of we just came the the prior movie first contact was a big actioner it it was had an interesting villain uh i think i think that sort of set the idea for what the next star trek movie was going to be and when i initially watched it it was essentially an episode of the tv show and i initially was kind of disappointed with it going back and like i said with generations and looking at it uh from a different point of view at a different point in my life, I have a, a better appreciation of it. I understand it's very similar to, I think, an episode called Homeward. Is that the is that the one I'm thinking? Home- it's
0: got the same basic premise, yeah, of a, a relocated colony being beamed onto a holodeck and then beamed over to a planet without them actually knowing it's going on. Obviously a parable for any number of relocations in mm-hmm. real life. Uh, so yeah, it's got the same basic
1: premise. So uh, the fact that it it mirrors a... Next Generation episode was kind of a disappointment for me. I wanted to see something new and different, but if you take a look at it as being an adaptation or a essentially a TV episode, like a two-part TV episode put on the big screen and given a budget, it's enjoyable enough. There are some moments uh, when, some of the character moments when everyone's getting more youthful and getting more spry, when Picard's doing the mambo, when Riker and Troy, oh God, are in the tub together. <laughs> <laughs> when when Worf has a zit, and Beverly and Deanna are talking about their boobs, it gets kind of cringeworthy. But if you, like I said, if you take a look at it as being an enjoyable television episode, just put it on the big screen. I think it works in that aspect.
0: I like Insurrection a lot. I liked it from... I saw it in the cinema. I loved it in the cinema. I still like it watching it now. It's a big-budget episode of the TV show. So what? (laughs) All of the other films, with the exception of Star Trek, the motion picture, have been a big-budget episode of the TV show. I don't understand that criticism at all. It's basically, you're taking Star Trek from the TV show, so you're going to change it completely and make it into something that you don't want to see. Of course it's a big-budget episode of the TV show. So I instantly dismiss that criticism, because you know I'm ornery like that. It's actually about something. It's about obsession with youth and the over-reliance on plastic surgery, and it's quite sad that we've not moved on past that. You know, everyone in The Flash is under 25 years of age, apart from, you know, Professor Wells and the dad and John Wesley Shipp. It's because it's actually about something. It is actually saying something that, I mean, some of it is a bit on the nose. Paul has pointed out before that Star Trek's never really particularly subtle about its social commentary. So the scene in the middle of the episode where Picard says, yeah, how many people do we have to move before that makes it wrong? We're that's talking a little...
1: about Native Americans. Yeah,
0: it's, it's that's a little bit, I would say unsubtle, but unsubtle doesn't seem to do the scene justice. No. But for the most part, it's really enjoyable. The, the cast all get something fun to do. I know my wife found the scene, where, this scene has got a lot of flack. From people, and I don't know if they're people of a particular persuasion, um, but a lot of people have said, you know, the scene where they say, "You know, have you found your boobs firming up?" That's sexist. My wife laughed at that; she found that funny. So, if, if she had it, funny, didn't have
2: boobs, what would she bring to the show? Exactly. <laughs> She's got nothing else.
0: <laughs> I think uh, Gates McFadden looks incredibly glamorous through these first couple of, of next-gen movies, particularly Generations, but she's she's very elegant in the way she moves, probably because she's a dancer. I love the scene where they're climbing up the mountain and they start batting the, um, the things away at, at them like baseball balls. You know, when those things are coming in to tag them, to beam them off to the ship. Love that bit. I think Worf's brilliant in this. His reason for being there and not being on Deep Space Nine is utter shit. Oh, Mr. Worf, nice to see you, says Picard, and that's it. (laughs) No real explanation given for why he's there, other than he's contracted to be there. I love Jonathan Frake shaving off his beard, because it really does make him look younger. I love the line, we're through running from these bastards. I think that's a great line. I could have lived without it being an Atari joystick that steers the Enterprise. (laughs) But for the most part, I thought Michael Piller did a really good job with the script. It's an entertaining movie. It's the Dirt Frakes does a brilliant job with the direction. Everyone's bringing their A game. There's even some genuinely touching bits in it. The bit in the middle where Jordi's just watching a sunset or a sunrise, I forget which, because he's never seen one, because the planet has regenerated his eyes. That's lovely. That's actually a really lovely scene. I think this is unfairly maligned. I really do think of all the odd next generation films, I think this is the one that really should be considered much better in higher esteem than it is. It's certainly better than The Nemesis. I think it's better than Generations. I I I think I enjoy it more than First Contact. I'm not a down on First Contact, but I think the fact that everyone holds it up as being utterly brilliant has affected how I think of it. I don't think it's as magnificent... The same reason I don't think The Voyage Home... Is as brilliant as everyone says it is... Because everyone says that it is... And I think the same thing about First Contact... I think Insurrection is is grossly underrated... I think it's solidly entertaining... And I think had it just been an episode of the show... People would have a higher opinion of it... And again I think Paul's right... Sean's right sorry... That following an action film... That's what people were expecting... And it's not what they were given... And I
1: think it's to Star Trek's credit... That they didn't give you what you thought you were going to get... It's not a detriment... Well, I'll give you that. I mean, it's it's nice every once in a while for the Star Trek, uh, for Star Trek to shake things up. If if it was all just action, 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 it wouldn't be Star Trek. It would be Star Wars, and it it gives us some cerebral moments. Uh, You know, the the yes, the concept of relocation is a very on the nose type. Social issue, but that's what Star Trek in general is supposed to do. It's supposed to talk about social issues. It's supposed to have heady ideas. It's supposed to make you think. And I guess to its credit, it does make you think. It's just for me, it didn't quite work as well as. Or, or rewatching it, it didn't give me the emotional impact that Generations did. So I'd probably have to go. You know, eventually, when I got to my rating, a little lower. But uh, do you want to go ahead and give your rating, Paul?
2: Okay. Um, let's see. So far, I gave uh, my best. My my highest was four and a half for uh, the Search for Spock, and my lowest was two and a half for the Final Frontier. I'm giving this a four. I thought this was a solid movie. I really enjoyed it, and although the Search for Spock is my favorite of the ones that we've talked about. If I were going to sit down right now and put one of them on, I think I would watch this one again because this one just, to me, and again, I, I think it's borne out by what I did in uh, on my cruise. This one just holds up to repeated viewing very, very well. It doesn't feel dated at all. I think this is just a, a solid movie, and it's a solid character study that I really, really like. So four, four stars, solid movie.
1: Mm, again, it, it just didn't <laughs> hit me right so i'm gonna have to disagree uh, you know i'm not really disagree but i'm just gonna give it a three there are some things that i enjoyed in the movie uh then there were the things that i just the the some of the comedy beats and I, I, you know one of the things that we really didn't talk about is what did you think about the antagonist in this now granted the antagonist was in some way the federation and anthony zerby's character but uh Ephemery abraham is rothalo did you think he was an effective villain throughout this He's a little bit whiny. Mm hmm.
0: Yeah, I, I,
2: I think that's. I think the idea is they're trying to play him as a child who never grew up. Yeah. But it's probably a little over the top because he's still. How many. You know, how old is he supposed to be? He's not supposed to be two years old. Uh, you know, you could have arrested development, but, you know, give him a certain level of maturity. Uh, so, yeah, you know, when, when he. But I don't know. He the, the over-the-top acting for that character kind of played. I, I I was okay with it.
1: Yeah, still I'd probably have to go with three. I mean, it, it it's definitely better than the next film that would come out, and I keep harping <laughs> on that. And I'm glad we're not covering that because I wouldn't have very much good to say about that. Go ahead, Andy. Um,
0: I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Paul and give it a four. I, I thoroughly enjoy this. I think it's it's on a par with a good sixth or seventh season episode of The Next Generation. It's not the highest of highs that the show would reach, but I find this a solid, entertaining, enjoyable movie. I think it does everything Star Trek sets out to do. I mean, Patrick Stewart's mellowed ever so slightly as the films have gone on, and they're now writing more for Patrick Stewart than they are for pa- Captain Picard. But I think that's a problem that plagues all of Star Trek. They just start writing for the actors rather than for the characters. But for the most part, I love this. I think the score by Jerry Goldsmith is quite lovely in places. Data playing with the kids is quite charming, especially at the end where he's goofing around in the haystack. It's, it just, it's, it's entertaining. It's good. I did, I did think the scene in the middle the, where the all confront Picard and say, no uniforms, no orders. It was really lucky that the two guys still in uniform were the two that stayed on the ship. Well, that was a real stroke of luck, but for the most part, I really enjoyed this one. I thought it was very, very, very entertaining, and it's it's generally not regarded as being a good one. But I think it is. I think it's great. What are people's problems with it in general? Not just not just Sean's. Generally, why is this considered not a very good one?
1: You know, I I would probably again have to put it in general. That it it followed first contact, and people had expectations that they were going to do more like first contact, and they did more like they did more like a motion picture. It was it was thought provoking. He zigged when he should have zagged. Exactly, and uh, I, I I think that's a good thing about Star Trek. It can be so many things. Every once in a while, it can have action moments. Or when it could be very sometimes it could be cerebral. Sometimes it could be Um that's the sign of a good show it can be all these things and in general i don't think we really had a movie that we thought was awful in the odd number of movies so i think the idea that the odd number of movies are the lesser of the star trek canon is is a gross misnomer there are some that surpass some of the even number movies especially nemesis
2: hmm. My, right no, I'm no, thinking, like you know, that's... I'm sitting here as we're going through this, and I'm thinking, I don't hate Nemesis. I don't know where it falls overall, but I think at some point we may have to do a uh, a show on that, and I'll have to be its defender somehow. I don't know how, but well, I may have to. I'd have
0: I'd have to rewatch it because I think I think I've only seen Nemesis twice. I've got it on DVD, so I must have watched it on DVD, and I know I saw it at the cinema. But I think that's it. I don't think I've ever seen it again.
2: It's been a while since I watched it, but I do remember that there were sequences that I did not think were bad. There were some that I think are awful. I'm not going to try and pretend that I'm going to. I would prop it up as fine, you know, as 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 high uh, level cinema. But I think I don't dislike it the way other people do. Put it that way. He's probably damning it with faint praise.
1: (laughs) When you talk, when Andy talked about generations, and even moving into the new series of films with uh, Into Darkness, aping Wrath of Khan, one of the one of the things that bugs me about Nemesis is the way that it sort of apes Wrath of Khan. It's it's like the next gen's version of Wrath of Khan, and I just it didn't work for me. But, But this isn't a show about. The uh, the even numbered film. so
2: yeah, well, no, that's 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 a discussion for another day. Plus, I did not rewatch it in order to come up with my uh, take on it overall.
1: Hmm. Yeah,
0: I've not rewatched Nemesis lately, so maybe we should do that another time, and we'll invite Scott on that one. There you go. <laughs> right, thank you very much, gentlemen. That was great. Thank you for joining me. I have no idea what's coming up next because this show's random. But I want to extend a huge thanks to Sean and Paul for getting up at godly o'clock to join me for this conversation and you should all go and listen to the prophets a deep space time podcast on two true freaks uh when do you release them sure
1: uh every other wednesday um there'll be one coming out uh every other wednesday yeah <laughs> i don't know when this is coming out so i can't say if it's coming because i don't know when this is getting day. released there you go it'll you know just <laughs> check the check the feed go to iTunes and subscribe it's <laughs> listen to the prophets a deep space 9 podcast you know go to iTunes and like it or you know give us five star review please five star we run
0: a professional organization here don't oh we? yes <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much gentlemen thank you for joining me lovely listeners and we'll see you next time Bye-bye.
2: bye 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 bye